Well, good evening. I'm Rick Dancer, and welcome to Get Real with Rick Dancer, uh, coming to you live from Nye Beach um, in uh, on the Oregon coast. Um, it's, it was it was earlier an absolutely beautiful day. It's been like 73 in the valley, probably close to 63 here on the Oregon coast. And um, this is the kind of spring weather you hope for and you pray for, but you never really depend on because um, you don't know what's going to happen when you live in Oregon. So we want to thank our sponsors. tonight. we got a really great show and it's going to be a time for you guys that you can help out some local families. Um, Michael Bryson disappeared 20 months ago tomorrow um, out in the woods at a party. Um, his parents have been on the show several times family. Um, there are some sort of new developments that we're going to talk about, but we're trying to instigate this again, get this out there so people will kind of know. And um, hopefully some of you might get, have some clues or you might have heard somebody talking because a lot of times if there's foul play and we're pretty certain there's some foul play here. Um, if there is foul play, um, usually these people will open their big mouse and um, try to brag about it. And that's when we get them caught. So we are really hoping that this will help tonight. Um, and we also have another gentleman who's been missing for six months, um, Shane Springer, and he's disappeared. I, if I remember correctly, it was up the McKinsey. We have family members from Minnesota uh, who are going to be on here to talk about that in just a second. But first, before we do that, I do. I got my little live camera here. So I want to show you um, the Oregon coast. So hang on. I'm going to bring this up. I got to figure out how to do this now. Oh, that one. Okay, so here we go. Come on, come on. You have to put this on the right side of the screen or it doesn't work. All right. Sorry, 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 sorry. Whoa. All right. There you go. See the little fire pits? Right there. That's them. And then there's the little pool. And this is the place. It's the Inn at Nye Beach. And Nye Beach is just right off. Oh, look, there's an Oregonian wearing a hippie tie-dye shirt. That's unusual. And there's Uquina Head. And that's the Uquina Lighthouse out on the road. the right thing. Yeah, you can see that out there. Whoa, so that's where, that's, where that's where we are. And I'm going to turn that sound down on that one. Turn that sound down on that one. So let me pull that out of there. So that gives you a little view of the Oregon coast. Now, Kathy and I are walking down in the downtown area. Newport's like a, a fishing town. And so down on the port, a lot of tourists, a lot of hotels, candy shops, saltwater taffy, all that stuff that you find at the beach, those, you know, shirts and all that crap. But there is a working tree down there too. And since there's a working cannery, there's also fish. And there's also a lot of sea lions. But check this out. These are all the people just looking at the sea lion. tell you that is a fisherman's worst nightmare 
because sea lions are protected in Oregon and they eat lots of salmon and lots of fish <laughs> and they really do not like them. Okay, let's get on here. Gloria loves Nye Beach. Excuse you. <laughs> Laura, that wasn't me. That was a sea lion. Uh, the Inn at Nye Beach is an excellent place to stay. I can smell this video. <laughs> Looks like the White House. Oh, here we go. Who else? What are you doing at the coast? Um, what I'm doing at the coast is I'm working on a video for uh, Ross Murray, who passed away uh, about a year ago. And um, part of his business was down here on the coast. So tomorrow I'm going to go out with one of his friends and uh, shoot some video of uh, some of the things he owned for that video. So that's what we're doing out here tonight. Um, I want to, Bill London's going to be up in a little bit with the news of the day in Oregon, but I want to start our show with, um, we're going to talk about some, uh, some folks who've been missing in our area for a long time. Um, this is Parrish Bryson, uh, Michael Bryson's father, and Michael disappeared 20 months ago, right? 21, I've been corrected. Well, geez, I thought you were <laughs> accurate. <laughs> yeah, 21, 21 months tomorrow. So give me a Reader's Digest. He was at a party. Um, give people to kind of catch them up on that. And then let's talk about what's new. Sure. Um, Michael went to a rave slash renegade out in the woods. He was invited to go out and DJ for a birthday party. Um, prior to going, um, one thing that we found out was he was kind of uneasy about going. Um, he thought he might run into somebody that he wasn't quote unquote vibing with. But he knew that he'd be surrounded oh, that's, that's by kind of new. Yeah, that's kind of new to me. I'd never heard that. Yeah, yeah. He had um, he had texted his uh, girlfriend and said that he was um, a little apprehensive um, about going, but he felt like he'd be safe because there was like 40 to 50 people that were going to be there. So wow. he went to this party and and um, he left Monday evening around six got up there around nine because they got lost and then uh was supposed to come home tuesday morning ish and um decided to stay one more day and supposedly walked out of camp wednesday morning at four in the morning by himself never to be seen again but there's a lot of stuff about this that just doesn't add up and and it's been like it's been really hard to get a lot of interest, not from the public, but just law enforcement kind of move in. They've done, you know, they've been helpful, but it has it, it at some point because you find this with Shane's case, too, where we're going to talk about is they just, you know, they 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 kind of it dries up. It's it's um, old news. It's not, they can't find them. And, and a lot of times when it has to do with a party or somebody who may have some mental difficulties and some stuff like that. Um, it seems like it kind of just gets pushed aside. Yeah. If you, if you take, um, mental illness and or drugs, um, or party, anything like that, it, it does kind of get pushed to the side. Some, um, what's frustrating with our case with Michael is, um, we know that, um, excuse me, we know that Michael, um, did not walk off that mountain. Um, we have found, um, items to suggest that there was definitely foul play um and that's what's frustrating for us as a family is how do we go from a missing person case to foul play um what do we need 
to present to law enforcement or to the DA to motivate them to move it to this so it gets more attention because right now it's just established as a missing case, a missing person case. And when you look at the ladder of importance with law enforcement, missing people are like the bottom rung. And so you do have some good news. You have a new detective working on the case. Uh, so a fresh pair of eyes with a senior. Actually, yeah, we actually have two fresh pairs of eyes. Um, the detective has a, um, a, a mentor, a veteran mentor, basically, that's helping him out. So we have two sets of eyes that are going through the, the notebooks. Um, you know, one, one thing that I've learned is um, in the last 20 to 21 months is Michael's case is probably one of the largest, as far as man hours are concerned, um, cases in Lane County. Um, and there's a lot of, of tips and paperwork for this detective to go through. So getting him up to speed has been kind of rough as well. You know, he's just, I mean, he's diving in and trying to follow new tips while he's still trying to learn the case, basically. Now, Mason Drew's on here. He says, it seems really tough crime scene to investigate as the elements run their course, but he was frustrated that there was a lack of urgency early on because of that. That's how he felt about when watching this. Yeah. <laughs> um, because of, you know, we knew when we, when we got there that we, we knew something had happened to Michael. Um, but that was not the frame of mind with um, other people. And it took a while for um, them to understand that we're not just looking for a kid hunkered over a log or a stump somewhere that's passed out. Um, that was the hard part was getting everybody else on board that something did happen here. And we need to find well, out what. And I think Michael was, or um, Parrish was so frustrating about that too, is now we've got, okay, so I'm going to bring Misty and Sh uh, Stacy on here. So this is uh, Misty and this is Stacy. And how are you guys related to Shane? Uh, I'm Stacy. I'm Shane's older sister. And I'm Misty, the younger sister. Okay. And these two are in Minnesota and their brother Shane disappeared here in Lane County up on the McKinsey. And and, and then, I mean, and Parrish and I could go on and on. There's Kim. There's uh, there's all kinds of people that are that have family members that are disappeared here and just in our area. And um, it was there for a while. It was seeming like this was like an epidemic, you know, and it seemed kind of funky. And, and it seems like we need to take a different uh, maybe. I don't mean, and I'm not being trying to be critical of law enforcement, maybe it, it, we got to jump on these things faster. If it was a kid that was in a car and taken away or something like that, um, you, it, it would be like stink on poop. You know what I mean? To find that thing. And because your, your relatives had some mental things going on or some drug issues or whatever it was, it doesn't seem to get taken as seriously. And I think that we need to take a different look at this now. I agree. Absolutely. Well, Misty, tell me, what happened. tell me what happened with your brother that you know. Um, so Tuesday, November 2nd of last year, he was at a, a job site um, doing construction, building a home. He left at 9.30, 10 o'clock to go home. We still don't quite know why he would leave at that time. 10 o'clock is an odd time for him to leave. 
when he left, he left his tools out and plugged in, was scheduled to meet with a subcontractor that afternoon. He goes home and from that point forward, nothing makes sense. Like, you know, the, the folks there can't agree on who was there, who saw him. Um, and so, so that's the, the last time that he's seen is that Tuesday, November 2nd. And he, Stacey, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Missy. Go ahead. Oh, um, I was just going to say then um, they supposedly on Wednesday morning, there's some text messages, calls to his wife. This is according to her saying that he's lost his keys. There's some kind of things back and forth. He tells her where he is. and on Mill Creek where we saw the bear. Nobody can find him. Um, they find his abandoned truck on Thursday and report him missing Friday. What? That seems <laughs> kind of weird. And there's a lot of weird stuff in between all of that. So, so Stacy, how difficult is this for you two? Because you're in Minnesota. This is all the way out here in Oregon on the McKenzie River area up near Vida. And, and you guys, how do you, you know, it's, it's hard enough for Parrish to get, you know, light a fire under someone's butt. You know, how do, how do you deal with that? Well, it's just a waiting game. We have to wait, just sit and wait for phone calls from people. So I, we've been connecting with the people in the local area that have been helping um, do some things, you know, like hanging posters and uh, doing things like that. But it's it's really hard just to wait, sit here and wait and just, it's hard to get through the days some days when it's quiet. Do you have much hope left that he's still alive? I, I have a I, I I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't think he is, but I hope he is, of course. But I, it doesn't look good. Go ahead. Sadly, Missy. I don't either because he would never go this long without contacting family. But so so now exactly. it becomes not, and this is for Parrish. This is you. I mean, you you guys are 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 certain that Michael's no longer living on this earth anyway. So for all of you, it's just how important is this to find them, their, their remains? It's really important for us. I mean, we want to bring him home and um, celebrate his life and, and in the end really know more about what really did happen to him. So that's our main and how important is it to find whoever did this and, and get them prosecuted for, for you, Parrish, on your end? And then I'll... Yeah. <laughs> that you don't Justice even have to... It, Justice for Michael. So if somebody... Let me put a picture up real quick, too, of Michael, because I didn't get that up when you were talking. Um, this is Michael, you guys. And... Um, you know, if anybody knows anything about them, how do they, how should people get a hold of you? Is it the sheriff's department that they need to call? Um, yeah, we've, I mean, we've blanketed Lane County with all kinds of missing posters. Um, 
everything has uh, Lincoln County's phone number on it as well as our phone numbers on it. Um, there's an anonymous tip line um, and that goes for, you know, both, both cases, you know, and, and um, the hard part, like for, for Shane's family being out of state and one reason that we have started the Michael Bryson Foundation is we want to be able to help families get the word out right away, figure out what they need to do to get to the bottom of this so it can go from a missing person to whatever it is, keeping them found or moving them up from power to foul play. Um, we want to give people the tools to make that happen. And like right now, you were talking about weather a little bit, you know, prior to starting this. And now that the weather is starting to break, um, we're going to have more searches, not just for Michael, but we've been trying to coordinate with um, our drone um, people and the dogs um, to go up to the Blue River also and, and share with some of the searching with Sh or for Shane. Somebody put on here, Cherish put on here, Chase Robinson, Michael Bryson, Shane Springer, Eric wrote, four men from the same area in less than two years and no answers. How many families who love them makes absolutely no sense. Those are some of the other names of people that are from this area in the same general vicinity also disappeared. There's a young man with the last name of uh, Chapel that disappeared out of Lorraine also in this time, in the time frame of the last 20 months. Parrish, who's the woman? Can you, you, because you're more in connection with who's the, the woman that we did the show with that's also missing? Um, Fauna Fry. Yeah. And she disappeared down by Grants Pass and Medford area, kind of up in the woods there. But it, it does make you kind of think, gosh, what in the heck is going on here? I don't like that our law enforcement court system and district attorneys aren't held more accountable for the lack of communication for not taking these missing humans beings more seriously. Kate, you know what I love about what you just wrote? Human beings. <laughs> Sometimes it feels like people spend more time looking for animals than they do human beings if those human beings are not picture perfect and don't fit into the realm. And I can say that because it's my show. Because <laughs> I, yeah, I you, see this. So thankful for the Brysons advocating for all these families. Yeah, and you know, here's another thing I will tell you guys. I call Michael or a parish and I say, hey, let's do an update because I know it's getting close to two years and blah, blah, blah. And then he always shares it with other people, with you guys, with Shane's family. Um, he never wants to be on there by himself because uh, there's there's too many people going through this. Are people still harassing your, your family, Parrish? Yes. Yeah, we just had, um, we yeah. Um, everything from false tips to we've had uh, three different scenarios in um, the last week where people have went into businesses and ripped down Michael's posters and have said things to the business owners. Um, so we are going to start a campaign here um, in the next week. We've got a bunch of laminated posters that are a little larger that won't fade. And we're going to go down and, and blanket um, some specific areas that have been targeted to, I mean, who, what kind of, what kind of person does that? You know what I mean? To me, that's like, that's like going in and desecrating a grave. Um, who, 
I mean, I, I think there's a special place in hell for people who do things like that. And I would be pointing at, there's gotta be something wrong. People are saying they're really sorry that's happening. It's so unfortunate. Um, these cases aren't investigated because that people don't or won't adequately fund law enforcement. Yeah. And, and they're shorthanded and they don't have it. And then right. I think just because they're shorthanded, then they get to a point where they go, well, you can only do so much. And, and then you almost, it's, we've cut, we've got our law enforcement almost to a point where they have to, where they are going, okay, drug person that moves over here, you know, person with mental illness, they move over here. And I don't think that's, that's an excuse either. I think it's like you take them a case at a time and you move on from there. Drew says, why aren't these people being immediately detained and investigated after ripping a poster down? Good question. That's yeah. a really good question. We should be talking about all the homeless who are dying as well. They may ha not have families that are speaking out, but they are human beings as well. And Edward, I, I agree that, and these are, but these are two different things. Um, these people disappeared under sketchy terms, like something happened to, somebody did something to them. This isn't someone who's homeless that is dying in the streets. And that's, that's another whole unfortunate thing. This is a crime and maybe it's not officially a crime yet, but everybody involved knows that this is a crime. So th it, this is different than that. And I'm not discounting what you're talking about in terms of homeless people dying, but you also should not put that category of person and case, let's just say a case into something that's a criminal investigation. Um, I always want to clear that up because that's, you, we shouldn't be doing that. This is why I don't mind my own business. Sometimes when I see something sketchy or strange, I pay attention. You know, I have a dear friend named Bev Collins. She used to be a police officer with Eugene police department. And recently she passed away. She used to do the coolest program in schools where she would go in and teach kids. If somebody comes up, she'd go in the classroom. If somebody comes up behind you or comes up to scare you, she would teach them to scream like bloody murder so that everybody knew because we're taught as children, be good. Don't make a scene. Don't make a scene. But if somebody would have seen what happened to Michael and, and maybe Shane, Shane's might be a different case, but if somebody had seen something and just got involved or screamed or yelled or said, Hey, what's going on here? None of this would have to happen. I think you really see a lack of involvement by people. I, I have another friend, a woman who was accosted by some, um, I'm just going to say it. I don't care. They were homeless people downtown Eugene and they were screaming F you. I want to F you and all this kind of stuff. And there was all these people walking downtown Eugene and not one person said a word. They just walked by. And she said, if I was in New Jersey in my home state, there would have been men up there going, what the fuck you doing, man? You don't be picking on a woman like that. And they would have been in in their face. But we have trained people in our state um, to just, you know, let, let things go. Don't get involved. And this is what you guys need is some Somebody to get involved, somebody to open their mouth, somebody to say, I saw something and I know something, um, you know, that it eats away at them for so long. Um, I got, there's more comments on here. Makes one think of Daniel Oberg and Adam Johns. Um, didn't Michael get to birthday party? That's not sketchy. Get to a birthday party. That's not sketchy. I don't know what that means. Do you Parrish? No. <laughs> and Edwards, so Edward says, Rick, there are homeless being killed. And that's the truth. You are wrong, Rick. The investigation stops as soon as it's homeless drug addict. Do not discount what I'm saying. I don't mean to discount what you're saying, but I think it's a different issue here. And that is a crime too. Then if, if you're talking about that's a crime and people are doing it, 
I know people in some of the camps and it's very dangerous. And there's a lot of homeless people that won't even go into those areas because it's so dangerous. Um, but I still, my Edward, we're just going to disagree on this one. I think they're two different kind of issues. And it's, I, I understand that that could be a whole different show. And I'd be well, more than willing to do that if you can find people to talk about it. Um, you guys, I really appreciate you coming on here and uh, doing this again. And hopefully someone will see something or remember something and get in touch with you guys. Okay. All right. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. You're welcome. So that's, um, I'm going to pull you guys out of here because I want to see your. So Stacy, Misty, Parrish, um, again, thank you very much. And our prayers and thoughts are with you. And um, keep pushing. And if you ever need something, oh, yeah, call me. You find yeah, something yeah, and you want to irritate them, let me know. Yeah, we're, we're not going away. We are here. We're going to be no. here until every missing person has a voice. Absolutely. You'd be a booger on a finger. They can shake you and shake exactly. you, but you're not going to. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See you later, Misty. All right. See you, Parrish. So again, if there's anything you guys can do to help um, with, with uh, comments or anything like that, please let them know. Um, they are really desperately looking for answers to that. Um, and if you would share this on your page too, um, that way people will see it. Uh, maybe someone that's out there that hasn't heard about this will know something um, or heard something at a bar or somebody talking. The more you share this and push it out there, the better it's going to be for the families. And you can be part of that whole solution. Um, so there's a bunch of stuff going on in Oregon in the news. And Bill London joins us now uh, to tell us some things that are probably going to irritate you. Good evening from the News Radio, 1120 AM and 93.7 FM KPNW Studios. I'm Bill London, host of the Wake Up Call, 6 AM to 9 Monday through Friday mornings, streaming at KPNW.com, and now with new, improved, and extra nougat. All right, here's a look at the stories we're following. So what's the mood of voters going into this primary election? I think I can sum it up in one word, pissed. So DHM Research, in connection with Oregon Public Broadcasting, just released a new survey, and they tracked 600 potential and likely Oregon voters, and they asked them a couple of interesting questions. The first one was, all things considered, do you think that things in Oregon are headed in the right direction, or do you feel that they are off on the wrong track? 73% said off on the wrong track. That's up from over 30% four years ago. Then they asked, what do you think is the most important problem facing Oregon today? And respondents could only give one answer. Well, the number one problem they think is facing Oregon, homelessness, followed by government leadership, followed by public safety, crime, and the lack of law enforcement, then politics and partisanship, jobs and the economy, then affordable housing, rent, and rent costs. And from there, it just went down to 2 or 3% of respondents. But those were the big responses. So, of course, this goes back to the announcement that uh, there was a leak from the Oregon Supreme Court, and that according to a draft, it appeared as though the Supreme Court was posed to, frankly, undo Roe v. Wade. So as a result, people all over the country were holding rallies. There was one in Eugene last night at the federal courthouse that was peaceful. Then you have Portland. 
The Portland Police Bureau said that a large group of people caused damage to various businesses during a march. Why don't they call them march riots or riot marches? They just call them marches. The group gathered in the downtown area, marching, according to police, with participants committing acts of vandalism, including graffiti and breaking windows. Government buildings, coffee shops, and other small businesses received damage. And then, of course, burning material and incendiary devices were launched at the U.S. courthouse. But it's not known how much damage at this point was actually caused. Officers only made one arrest, a 31-year-old Luke Anderson. He was charged with reckless burning and disorderly conduct. Police say they're still assessing the extent of the damage and investigating the crimes that were committed. Well, one rich liberal Portland donor is trying to unseat two law and order district attorneys in Oregon, hoping to replace them with liberal DAs in the mold of Multnomah County's get soft on crime DA Mike Schmidt. That donor is Aaron Boonshot, and he donated $275,000 in April to unseat the district attorneys in Washington and Marion counties. Now, if the name Aaron Boonshoft sounds familiar, well, it's because he was also the chief petitioner of a ballot measure that would decriminalize prostitution in Oregon. In that role, he described himself as, and this is a direct quote, an Oregon philanthropist, an advocate of human rights, and a client of legal consensual sex work. In other words, he likes them hookers. Boonshoft, who is the son of a wealthy Ohio commodities trader, was also behind last year's failed attempt to decriminalize sex work via House Bill 3088. Boonshoft made two campaign contributions, one totaling $225,000 to Brian Decker, a public defender running on a progressive platform to unseat Washington County DA Kevin Barton. And he donated $50,000 to Spencer Todd, also a public defender running against Marion County DA Paige Clarkson. Barton and Clarkson are joint heads of the Oregon District Attorneys Association, and both are established prosecutors and are definitely get tough on crime. And both of those DAs, have coincidentally been publicly critical of Governor Kate Brown releasing hundreds of convicted criminals because of COVID and her clemency of brutal murderers who were sentenced to life in prison without parole. Boonshoft, who refuses actual interviews and only sends emails to the press, was quoted in one of those emails as saying, I'm passionate about advocating for human rights, and I believe we can create a world in which health, safety, and justice is accessible to everyone, and, and, and apparently prostitution available to everyone. Well, an Oregon state agency is now facing a class action lawsuit because of them releasing the COVID-19 vaccination data of more than 40,000 state employees. Elena Martinez of the Oregon Department of Corrections sued the Oregon Department of Administrative Services over the data release in Marion County Circuit Court. The class action suit alleges that state employees faced harassment and intimidation after the state released the data. The state claims the release was inadvertent, even though the list was sent to the largest media outlets in the state. 
namely the Oregonian and the Statesman Journal. By law, that information was supposed to be confidential. Those media outlets never published the vaccination status of individual employees, but the lawsuit alleges that the agency didn't protect the privacy of state employees. DAS shepherded the process by which all executive branch state employees uploaded their vaccination status, including the type of doses, into Workday, the state's online portal for workers. Governor Brown's order set that process into motion, saying if well, state employees weren't vaccinated, they would be fired. The Department of Administrative Services promised that, quote, vaccine documents are only visible to HR, HR partners, ADA coordinators, and COVID vaccine coordinators. The lawsuit says that Nettie Pye, Oregon's labor relations manager at DHS, or DAS, also sent an email that said vac- vaccination, vaccination documentation is kept in confidential. The email told employees that it is separate and highly secured, only viewable by you and the roles responsible for managing the vaccine mandate requirements. Then on October 18th, Adam Crawford, the external relations manager for DAS, sent out the spreadsheets of that confidential vaccine vaccine data to the media outlets. It included whether employees were vaccinated, had an exemption, or if human resources were reviewing their documents. And of course, who they were, where they worked, how long they'd worked, and the like. Later, the same day, the Oregonian published an article about the data release. Two hours after the story was published, DAS sent out an announcement about the release to employees. The next day, several unauthorized people gained access to the data and used it to in the words of the lawsuit, intimidate, threaten, harass, embarrass unvaccinated state employees. For instance, a Department of Corrections captain highlighted the names of unvaccinated corrections employees stationed at the Oregon State Penitentiary and posted them on a public shifting scheduling board. The lawsuit doesn't detail how unauthorized people got the data but the lawsuit alleges the disclosure violated state law and the DAS was negligent by allowing unrestricted access to employee data in an unsecure way. This is the state of Oregon. What did you expect? All right, that's a look at the news. All right, get rolling, Rick. We need a little bit of real. All right, Bill, thanks for what you do. We appreciate you. So again, if you guys would share this on your page so people can help find Shane and also Michael Bryson, um, that would be super helpful. Uh, we want to thank Chris Dental Family Dentistry, um, where everyone is welcome, um, despite what your vaccination status is. They don't feel like that's their business. They feel like they're there to help you take care of your uh, oral health. So that's what a dentist is supposed to do. We also want to thank Alvord Taylor, Endless Possibilities, an organization in Eugene that's looking for employees, uh, people who want to work with people with different abilities. They have a number of homes, group homes in the area. They also service people in their homes. If you want to know more about that, you can go to their website, alberttaylor.com. Just click on employment and find out more information about what they're looking for. And we want to also thank Buck Sanitary Service. If you are looking for having a wedding this summer, if you're having any kind of special occasions, you need outhouses, washrooms, shower rooms. They even have, I don't have the video on here, but they have fancy ones for weddings that have the boy and the girls. Um, You can uh, talk to Scott or Lisa Weld 
over at Buck Sanitary Service. Uh, those are the people who sponsor us. And so if you're having an event, it would help them if you and us, if you would then sponsor them. All right, we'll be back here tomorrow night. And from Newport coming to you live, we're going to talk to Darren Harbick, a guy from McKinsey Bridge who is running for the U.S. Senate against Senator Ron Wyden. He'll be on our show and we'll have much more. So we will see you later. Have a good day. And again, share this on your page. We appreciate what you do. Good night.